I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by bagging these bongos. Hello, well here we are at episode 184, how are you? Well firstly, before we go anywhere, I just want to mention a podcast that I've featured on this week. It was called Reach Out for Mental Health, with a, a good friend of mine, Stuart Whiffin. Stu runs several podcasts of his own, hardcore listing, off the beaten track, and <laughs> probably my favourite, acceptable in the 80s, that's along with his best mate, Cunt and the Gang who had a song in the charts about Boris Johnson that got to number five. But anyway, this podcast is called Reach Out for Mental Health. And it, uh, well, it does pretty much what it says on the tin, you know. But anyhow, today, I'm taking you to meet Camilla Cole. Camilla is the founder and director of a charity called Hypha Studios. She connects artists that need a space to show or create their work with a landlord who has a vacant property. I was aware that there were several organisations who do this kind of thing, but I was made aware of Pfeiffer Studio several weeks ago when I was speaking to Dion Kitson, which was episode uh, 174. Dion was speaking so highly of them, I got in touch and, uh, yeah, we recorded today's episode. And as I say, this episode was recorded a few weeks ago, and in advance of me recording this part of the episode, I did get in touch with Camilla to see if there was anything that Pfeiffer had going on at the moment. And she did say that she's bonkers busy at the moment with a ton of great stuff going on and they're waiting on four signatures this week and that is to give go-ahead for sites in Enfield, Central London, Allgate and Lordship Lane in Dulwich. And just by chance all of those happen to be in London but Haifa help artists and landlords all over the UK. 
I mean, Dion's was in Dudley, if I remember rightly. So, yeah, it's fantastic work that they do, and it's a fascinating story. So, come along with me as I spoke to Camilla Cole over Zoom of Haifa Studios. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, important, like, criticism, like, crits are so relevant and important, aren't they? I mean, mm. like, studio visits, I love doing studio visits. In my former life, I was a curator. Um, so, like, I did do a lot of more studio visits than I do now even though we run loads of studios. <laughs> um, it's a slightly different thing, though. So what's, what's your background, Camilla? I saw that you was a curator. Yeah, so my background, um, so basically went to UCL, did art history, um, quickly turned around in my class and realised that everybody was either very wealthy or connected to the art world. And I remember sort of <laughs> running home to my mum and being like, do you know anybody? <laughs> Anyone that can give me a job? Um, and yeah. she was like, no sorry so I was like damn it so um I was working in Habitat and I met this guy who was running this thing called Artnet and oh, yeah. uh, I got did an internship with him he then got given money to um start this thing called All Visual Arts which was like an arts uh patron sort of scheme back in the day pre-financial crash so yeah. artists would come with an idea we'd give them a lot more money to execute it massive and we'd set it on and then we'd keep some money and it's sort of a financial yeah. like, platform yeah. Stop that, then worked for a Nigerian collector, buying and selling artwork. Nice. Um, developed sort of databases on selling and stuff like this. Yeah. And then worked for a Mayfair gallery, um, doing logistics and operations for Mayfair, like artists and stuff like this. Then decided that I wanted to be more immersed with emerging artists. Yeah. Um, and I went to Goldsmiths to do my master's, dropped out after a year. Not because it wasn't amazing, because it was in many ways, but the first thing they said was, you're never going to make any money out of this. And I was like, well... This is going to be rubbish. So I took Thanks the seven. <laughs> yeah. So I took the seven grand from my second year and started um, doing independent projects, coal projects. Um, and I basically just came up with ideas that were very. If you're, you're like in a, one person as a bod that body doing a uh, like a project, you can be quite nimble. So yeah. I used to think of ideas and just look at the round and see what other artists are doing it, bring them all together and sort of get spaces. Then figured out there was this loophole of getting free space. And um, I knew that there were some several people sort of doing this thing um, and it would be better if I was a charity that did it. And I realised that some people were doing it and also charging artists and we didn't have to. So that's how I started Hyper Studios, basically. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and when was that? I started Hyper Studios a year ago during the pandemic. Oh, wow. That, that <laughs> early or that, that late rather. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're a really baby organisation. Um, but basically, um, during the pandemic, obviously, there was loads of shops that were closed. Uh, loads of artists couldn't get to their studios because they couldn't travel. And so I was like, well, if you're local and there's like empty shops right there, you know, artists can use it and operate in it. Yeah. Um, and yeah. people can walk past and you think it's sort of pandemic proof, you know, so you didn't have to go in. You could see artwork being made. And so that's how it sort of started. Um, and we started in Eastbourne initially. Um, oh, brilliant. Yeah, and so I don't know. Do you know how? Do you know much about what we do um, and how it works? I I found out about you when I was chatting to Dion Kitson yeah. about two months ago. I love Dion, and he was <laughs> brilliant, isn't he? Um, oh, such a fan. Yeah, and he was he was um, praising you a lot. Yeah, he's is, such a good guy. Which is when I had a had a look at what you do, and yeah, properly impressed. Oh, cheers, man. Yeah, I mean, we, I definitely want to grow it as much as I humanly can. We're like sort of in a phase, like the first year has been amazing. Like it was like really hard graft, but super satisfying. You know, the best thing about it is that like, you know, I love London, um, but actually what I realised with the pandemic is that loads of artists actually went back to their hometowns. Yeah. 
Well, it's actually culture right now is diffused across the UK in a way that it hasn't been for ages. I know people are coming back now, but people start to reconsider their options. And so actually what we do is the open call formats. Um, and I don't know about you, but as a curator, I got really bored of applying for things because um, yeah. you never get any feedback. You don't know what you're doing no. wrong. There's so much competition. They're really long, boring application forms. I, I love the Arts Council, but it's really hard work. Like, you know, we work with people that are really good at it and I don't have to do it, thank God. Um, but lots of people aren't trained to do it. You no. know, it's impossible to know what you want to do. So we've got a very short application form. It's like just four questions. Um, and it's always 100, 100 words each. And we do a uh, basically targeted social media on a property. So say it's in Dudley, like with Dion, we did a targeted social media campaign on that area. And then only artists in that area apply. And basically we only Brilliant. consider local artists, right? So this and means that we get to like discover people that wouldn't normally be seen. Landlords typically have like a bunch of properties in their portfolio and they'll be like, right, I've got one here, 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 here. And we'll go, great, we'll use those. I mean, if it's in the middle of nowhere and it's a massive warehouse, um, we've been offered those and we just can't fill those at the moment. Yeah. But uh, with, with little, the small units, anywhere is possible. So um, what do the landlords get from it? Just filling their space? Stuff. Loads of stuff. Um, well, number one, uh, okay, insurance, for example, goes down. If you have it occupied, um, insurance goes down. Um, number two, the artists have to, whoever's been selected, it's based on their public programme. So the idea is it to be of interest to the local community. So you get more footfall, right? So people come down, check out what's going on. There might be workshops for the young or the, you know, or the elderly or whoever it might be. So the idea is to generate footfall, keep, thing, keep the lights on, as it were, whilst um, there's vacant periods. And some of these shops are never going to get people to come and take them on. Yeah. I mean, the high street in London seems to be coming back, cities seem to be coming back, but loads of people are trying to reimagine what the high street is. And for me, it has to be about culture. I mean, and it's the one thing that I can experience, I need to experience in the flesh. Like online, it's not so fantastic, you know? Yeah. So as much as I love the metaverse, it's not really for me. I want to go in and see stuff. <laughs> oh, no, that's right. And what does the artist do when they answer your call out? So all they have to do is fill out this application form. We always give feedback as well. We say, if you're going to shortlist or whatever, um, basically it's judged on four things. You have to tell us who you are and what you've done. Um, yeah, that and, helps, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Tell us, you know, um, what your public program is, like I just mentioned. Um, and basically what we do off the back of that is that we judge it based on four things. Um, so it's our trustees at the side now from like the Royal Academy and Unicredit Bank and like the amazing people all from the art world, and then we invite a local um, expert in. So we don't, I don't decide who goes in. Yeah. It will be like the, in Bristol, for example, it was the director of the Arnold Feeney, right? And in London, it was the Tate. And so what we do is we say to the landlords, not only are we partnering with these people, but we can like make sure the caliber is really good. Yeah. You know? um, and sort of brand affiliation is good. And so the artists get the space based on need, you know merits obviously they have to be good you know it's yeah. really important um and also their public program and those yeah. three things um you know that's how we match make right oh nice and so, yeah and they get it totally for free so no rents no business rates no bills um and all they have to do is a public program and we try to where we can do some manpower do a, um, a mentoring session so when you were talking about talking to artists in my head, I'm like, this is amazing. Maybe Gary can come and chat to some of our artists. Oh, there you go. <laughs> We've had lots of like success in the first year. Famously, artists don't trust landlords and la la landlords <laughs> don't trust artists. Of course, yeah. Right? That, that, 
that's the main thing and when I was a curator I was doing this by myself I was like begging everyone with a property please (laughs) please let me come in please 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 please." Um, and no one was paying me attention which is why we set up the organization because it means that you can have you can be that negotiator in between yeah you know we say we take all the risk the artists because basically whoever we select to go in these buildings they in effect work for us when they're in there right but they don't work for us as in like we're like cracking the whip like make art make art it's just because it means that we shelter them with our insurance and our you know services and all the stuff we we take responsibility so we take all the risk so the landlords, this is why it's really important to have good relationships with our artists. That's why Dion and I get on so well, because basically he's 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 representing us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and if the landlord has any issues, then I have to sort of be that barrier in between. Yeah. It's not as fun as curating, but it's more satisfying. <laughs> but there's a there's a huge um amount of vacant shops on the high street now. The high street is pretty much falling apart, isn't it? If they're council run, does that make it any easier than if they're privately owned or harder? So this even? is super interesting. So yeah, so it's a bit of both. Um, councils councils have assets, right? Councils typically, depending on the council across the country, they can have a few properties that they own or they can have loads, right? Um, and it's a big generator of income for them because whether it's before or after development or whatever that might be, so there's asset managers um, and landlords, Landlords are great because all they care about is like cash, right? Yeah, of course. It's very simple and they're quite quick when it comes to money. Whereas councils, because of the nature of councils, there's so many different departments, there's so many different like bureaucracy, um, red tape issues, and there's procurement processes. It's it's a lot tougher for them, but they we work with councils and it's because they understand the importance of community. Yeah. Um, because what we do is by getting the public program for the local community that takes a lot of their boxes. So councils are great, you know, you know, some councils are super, super progressive and doing really, really amazing things. Yeah, so they're, they're a good one for us and enough for artists in general, I think. Well, once the councils notice the benefits of having the arts in their area, mm-hmm. um, yeah, then all of a sudden they, they want quite a lot of arts coming in, don't they? Yeah, well, this is a really good like, example. We work with Waltham Forest Council um, and we did it over Christmas. And Waltham Forest, as you know, has got a ton of creatives moving to the area. I mean, it's on our doorstep. And so, you know, we did an open call and we got an amazing array of people, um, you know, a whole array of people from incredible performance artists um, that have like been shown in amazing institutions to to this amazing girl called Maria Babu, who makes um, works with a bloom, you know, so she was teaching. What's great is that, you know, the fact it's in a shop, people walk past it. And because if it's not a gallery, right? You know, when I was working in a very high-end art gallery, you know, normal people didn't want to go into these spaces, but they love going into shops. They're like, what's going on here then? Tell me, like, who are you? And and that's you find the interactions are a lot better. Often they buy. Yeah. Um, they want to do the workshops. Community aspects is a lot higher. So Walton Forest Council wanted to have six artists go in there. <clears throat> and uh, we turned it around quite quickly. It was good. Yeah, well, what you're saying now about a, a craftsperson going in, do you know Barn the Spoon in Bethnal Green? No. He's a, he's a no. whittler. He just makes spoons with a, you know. A, you oh, know, I do. Of course I do. Yes, of course yeah, I so do. He's yeah. been there. I'm, I'm not even sure if he's still there, but up until a couple of years ago, he'd been in that shop for years. Yeah, the amount of interest that he has got, you know, just a guy with, you know, but this is a piece of wood. Amazing. 
But this is exactly it. And I think if we're really going to reimagine the high street in the future, this is what people are going to want to see. I don't think people want to go to shop the thing necessarily, yeah. but you want to go and learn how to make and see people do. And I think if the space has become a space of practical, physical community aspects, then I think we're going to be onto a winner. And I, I know lots of developers are looking into this as an idea. Yeah. Um, it's just the practicalities of sort of merging a lovely combination of online platform for buying and selling and having the making and doing and the other, you know. Yeah. Well, I was in uh, an exhibition last year or was it the year before? The start of last year mm -hmm. um, at the Fulham Town Hall. Oh, I know. I've actually been talking to that landlord. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Right. So uh, a lot of companies are doing that at the moment. They acquire a massive building mm -hmm. to put in high end retail, hotel, that sort of thing to generate a bit of interest in the building. They mm -hmm. put a few grand into artists and and put on a big exhibition there just to highlight their their building. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, um, that, you know, that's exactly, that's exactly right. And I think the more of that, the better. I mean, for me, when I was working in a gallery, I think particularly in London, I never go to the same place time and time again, unless it's my local pub. Yeah. So actually being dragged to the same gallery time and time again can get quite, unless you're white cube and you know, it's like mind blowing every single time. You know? yeah. It's quite difficult to drag people to the same space time and time again. Yeah. I love exploring and the weirder the space, the better. So like when we get a site, we don't do any work on it to make it into a gallery. You know, we've had a theatre uh, group in a um, fruit and veg shop for ages. Brilliant. And there's another one in a travel cook. And it's like they respond. Artists are really great at responding to their environments. Yeah. And like weirder the spaces that I think the more like experiential and cooler the artwork is in many ways. Right. And there's something a little bit special about coming across something, not intending to go there. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And I think when you stumble across things, there's a certain sort of, yeah, it's magic, like you say. And it's, it's, you know, somebody's been thinking about this for ages and really it's just for your interest. And, yeah. you know, and it's like artists so often are behind closed doors making, and obviously, you know, privacy is important to make work a lot of the time. Mm. But if you want to be seen, the high street's an amazing place to be seen. The yeah. footfall's insane, particularly in London. Who knows what's going to do for your career? Who knows who's going to talk about it and drag you down? Um, but yeah, the, the sort of spontaneous nature of just coming across something is the best. Is it just um, exhibition spaces you do or do you do studio no. spaces as well? We do everything. So basically, we, we initially when we started our charity, so basically as a charity, we have, I don't know if you know how this works, but a charity has like uh, purposes and our purposes are benefit of the public, which is why our public program is so important and, and creating like low cost and in our terms, we're always going to be free. We're never going to charge artists uh, spaces for artists. Brilliant. So initially it was visual artists, and then we changed that to creative artists. So we now work with and can work with all of the creative art forms. So in Bristol, we've got um, VR and AR artists that have been incubated for a year. They've got amazing grants. They're going to do immersive experiences for the shopping center. They're awesome. But then we've got sound musicians in the basement of a shoe zone, right? And they're going to do like cool sound stuff. And like I said, we've got theater groups. My dream, I want to get all the um, railway arches and put musicians in there because Brilliant. where do musicians go, right? Yeah. We've forced them out of our cities. They can't make any music anymore. Um, so, and these are perfect, perfect for music. So, yeah. I mean, that, that's my dream. Like as soon as I can get TFL to listen to me, which may ne never happen, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'd love to take over some arches and give it over to music. Why did you go to charity status? Was it to 
bypass um, complications. No, it's, you know, it's funny. So everybody I know is like, why don't you do this for money? You can make loads of money out of this. Because basically, long term, I want this to turn into an Airbnb thing where artists and landlords can find each other. Brilliant. And, you know, and like, you just remove remove us from it. Right now, it's important because we need to show, you know, proof of concept and yeah. like, to develop the system. But if it becomes self-regulating and the artists go into these spaces, they don't dick about and the artists, you know, landlords love them, they rate them. And they, it just, it could easily, you can see how this could work, right? I didn't make it a for-profit company because if it's a charity and we have to be very rigorous with our definition of what's good, it means that if I just had to fill empty spaces, I could just put anybody and then not care about who goes in there. Yeah. But actually, because we're a charity, I think a, com a commercial competitor would be, um, it would have less trust from the public, they'd have less trust from artists and less trust from landlords. Yeah, now, at the yeah. moment, we can seek funding and be like, look, we're a charity. Like, we do this because we are passionate about what we do. We fully believe in giving opportunities to artists that have never had it before. You know, like, I, I didn't have the opportunity to open a gallery. Yeah. I could do it. I ran a gallery for 10 years, but I could never afford it. And I want to do this for them. And I don't want it to be a commercial, Brilliant. strictly commercial. I want it to be for artists that are just making fun work, doing cool things without any commercial aspects because that's where the good stuff is yeah right I'll totally that's agree. where I'll totally agree. innovation comes from like all the artists at goldsmiths blew my mind how amazing they were you know like they're so brilliant and it's um, it's about as inclusive as you can get isn't it i mean yeah. a, a gallery in the middle of a row of shops amazing yeah totally and done on the basis of yeah but merit and what they're doing for the community i mean i felt quite bad about having to be so community driven because part of me is like Art shouldn't have to be a social worker, right? No, I um, agree. But, but, you know, and I totally think that gratuitous artwork is fantastic in so many ways as well. That said, um, you know, the Arts Council, if you apply for funding, you always have to talk about what you're doing for the local community. So it's not something that artists are un un unfamiliar with, right? Yeah. They yeah. know that they have to have an audience. They want their work to be seen. So that's why we brought that into it. Camilla, it's a win-win for, for everyone, isn't it, what you're doing? Yes, it, that's basically, there's no one that's like, aside from like apparently sometimes cash flow issues on our half, yeah. um, <laughs> you get more, more donors coming through, we'll be, we'll be more than happy. But um, it is a win-win for absolutely everybody on board. Well, that's um, why I asked about the charity, because I'm well aware that to start a charity isn't, isn't easy. Yeah, it's, it's a hard <laughs> thing to do. It's so much easier to just be a, a CIC or even just a commercial. And even if yeah. you agree not to, so, you know, even if you donated your earnings to, to charities yeah. and good causes, yeah. it's so much, so difficult to become a charity and hats off to you for doing it. Well, yeah, and, and you're, you're absolutely right. But I think what's really important about that is that, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've come from a very commercial art world background and the sort of dubious questions that you have um, in terms of what art washing is, you know, art can always be utilised for something negative. Um, and I work with an amazing guy called Will Jennings, who's a researcher and lecturer about urban issues. And every mm -hmm. time I sort of wander off in a vaguely commercial twatish direction, he sort of like <laughs> slaps, slaps me on the wrist and is like, no, <laughs> like, Brilliant. behave, Miller. remember that this is not about this. And like, he's really good at sort of bringing me back in and making me remember what's important. And I think that the whole thing of the charity setup is there to control dickhead egos going in the wrong <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's, that's, that's a good um, mar marriage anyway, isn't it? The commercial mm. side and the community side, because yeah. it does need 
Yeah, but, but also, the absolutely. And the best thing about, I think, the time that we're living in now, like developers have to check boxes to develop yeah. their buildings that are good for community. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Now, instead of it being like some fanciful thing, like putting in a crossing to, you know, build your buildings for their planning permissions, why not do something like support the artists in your local area? Yeah. And so actually what my dream is ultimately to facilitate exactly that. Like if you're going to develop buildings, find out from the grassroots up what people need yeah. and also yeah. who the artists are there for and like who you're supporting. And I think that actually weirdly, the community aspect makes it much more lucrative for the landlords. It gets their planning put through. It means people want to live there. And so like there's, it can fall hand in hand and be beneficial for the future as well. Yeah, of course. With um, Dion's exhibition space in Dudley in mind, did that landlord come to you? Did you discover them? How did that, how did you two become in so each other's worlds? It's super interesting. So it's actually, um, so that landlord's called Nicola. Um, I won't give out her surname, so I'm not entirely sure if she'd let me, but <laughs> she's, she's an amazing woman and um, she's a massive supporter of the arts. So I've met her through a mutual friend when I was working in galleries and sort of floating around Mayfair having drinks after work. And she is in the art world, but also she has access to these properties. And we were talking years ago about maybe doing a touring show of exhibitions through these different sites. And then obviously I came up with Haifa and sort of tapped her on the shoulder and said, uh, please. <laughs> uh, and she agreed um, very kindly. And she also is the landlady for the Penrith sites as well. And she gave us Camden too. So she's been a massive supporter um, of ours since the very beginning. And I, you know, we were very lucky to have that because again, once you've got that proof of concept, you can turn around to other landlords that you don't know and say, look, it went well here. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So I think you know, there's a lot of luck with everything that we did. Um, you know, I think starting in a pandemic was great because people were more open to crazy ideas. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, and also landlords were keen to find another solution. So it's sort of all the stars aligned to make it work in the beginning. Uh, if a landlord had an empty shop, how would they know to contact you? Right now, I'm a sort of army of one and I've just been through surgery so I'm in recovery so everything's a bit out of whack right now. <laughs> but I've got um, two amazing people working with me and we pay ourselves as much as we can when we can. So we're, we're applying for NPO status and all these things. So what I really want to do is have a marketing person because to date we've had, you know, we've been featured in the Telegraph, we've been on Radio 4, we've had loads of press but actually it is a, it is a mission trying to get in touch with these landlords. I'm not a property person no so i'm trying to raise some money right now to employ somebody i'll just need i need a gent who can just go out and talk to these landlords for me um what i'm finding now is actually i've, I've got some amazing allies in this industry and i think we're sort of weirdly falling into the idea of placemaking and 
Gordon Seabright from the Creative Land Trust um, is being such an ally. So what he does is something similar to me, but he's the opposite. Creative Land Trusts are made to basically secure buildings for like 90 year leases, maybe longer, buy them outright. And they do really low um, studios for forever. Wow. to make sure that our amazing cities don't sort of fall by the wayside in terms of creativity. So his, his role is incredibly important, I think, for the whole of London and the rest of the UK. Um, so, but we are the exact opposite. We go in there for a month, in, out, in, out, in, out. We're like running around, picking up the breadcrumbs that he's sort of... Yeah. But what I mean by that is that he's making amazing introductions for us now with like huge developers and that's really helping. Because if you can get one developer or one landlord with loads of sites, that's better than running around trying to find landlords. Yeah, yeah, of course. How about local authorities? I know there's thousands of them around the UK. Yes. But are they in contact with landlords? When a, when a shop becomes empty that's owned by a private company, the council could say, well, look, rather than it be empty, you could contact these people. So, yeah, this is, this is genius. There's so much to be said on this. Number one, I want what we do to be public policy, right? I don't actually, I don't want, I don't think hyper should exist. I think it should be public policy that if you've got an empty shop, you should allow artists in there for have along, right? Um, and they were trying to do, do this recently, the government, and force landlords to auction off their properties. Now, this I don't think will ever happen. I mean, if, if most MPs own properties, right? And as much as oh, we want them to give yeah. them up, they're not going to say, yeah, yeah, fine, totally devalue my assets. So I don't think that's realistic. But I do think it's realistic to use it for a period of time to generate more footfall um, and generate more interest in your town. So in answer to your question, local authorities and counts and private landlords do talk to each other. Often they um, don't talk to each other though and they want to talk to each other. So what we do is that we try to broker a relationship between them. Nice. So every time we get a site, it's like a private landlord. For yeah. example, Lewisham. We went to Lewisham um, and Catford and we went to the council and said, look, we're going to come to your area. Who is it that you want us to benefit? Um, and basically they were said, oh, right, we've got this grant that so they gave us some money to help us with like bits and pieces. But they said, maybe we want to um, focus on like uh, the generation between 20 and 30 or whatever it might be. And we can cater our open calls for that. Mm. So we're particularly interested in this, 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 this. So the idea is to really make sure that we don't step on anybody's toes by going into these areas. But equally, we're working with some amazing councils who are actively going out there to try and get the landlords to work with us. Yeah. Um, and there's three, I'm not sure I can mention them, but they are actively going out and doing the work for us, Excellent. which is amazing. You yeah. know, so yeah, really, 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 really thrilled to be like, have such great relationships with these people. And as you mentioned earlier, like the, a lot of landlords have a mistrust of, of artists, don't they? You know, and the people in the commercial world don't really see the value of the aesthetic. This is true, but what they do understand, so different people have different needs. Yeah. So, for example, if you've got a certain landlord, some, some landlords love the arts, like Nicola, I mentioned earlier, she's a patron of the arts, so that's, that's amazing. Um, but other people, for example, ESG is a big thing. So it's a bit like developers trying to get their properties over the mark for planning, but ESG is really important for their shareholders. So we can turn around and say, we've had X amount of impact, we've had 2,000 people through the door for this event, and uh, you know, of this demographic, this many people came down. Da -da 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 -da. And yeah. for that, we generated this much well being for the people of the community of the local area. Now, they would really like that, or they might really like the fact we can be partnering with the Tate or another art organization because it's yeah. a juicier lo logo than yeah. hyphens, you know. <laughs> did you mention Eastbourne at the start of this? I did, yes. Eastbourne. Now, Eastbourne, mm -hmm. a lot of the shops there were council owned. Yes. Yes. Is that still the case? 
Um, I don't know. The property in Eastbourne that we got was through um, through somebody that sort of approached us a long time ago. Approached me a long time about doing a show in Eastbourne. Yeah. Uh, and at the time, I didn't really feel like I I I could. Um, and to be honest with you, we just piloted that with no hope or understanding of the need. But we've yeah. got about fifty applications being totally unknown in you know four days. Yeah. So you know the need is always everywhere. But this was a private landlord on this occasion, um, and I don't think they're that um council owned um well actually eastbourne is like hugely on the rise now massively i mean you know like joe hill from the towner is is an absolute diamond and he he's done a, a huge a brilliant job for, um, there but also the whole of sussex actually again i think maybe yeah. because of the prices are going back you know to the coast and also it's Brighton is so expensive, right? That's where yeah. I was born. Uh, so you've got all those brilliant creatives going to Eastbourne and Hastings, you know. Yeah. So, so actually, the sort of creative sort of flow is going seeping across along the coast. But yeah, you're right. You know, it's not inundated, but there is stuff going on. Well, the artists have always gone to the the cheaper areas for the yeah. for the cheap space. Behind them come the designers, the coffee shops, then and then everything else. And then over the matter of ten years. Uh, a, a rundown area gets developed, doesn't well, it? You know? Well, this is the, this is exactly the thing, and this is the thing that Gordon. If you if you're interested in this sort of stuff, I really recommend going to the Creative Land Trust website because they've got amazing reports about how culture is good for communities, and it's not just you know communities in terms of well-being. It's also communities in terms of like property and stuff. Now, obviously, there are concerns about if you have too much gentrification is going to be problematic for society, etc. But his model is there to stop that from happening. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Always follow the artists. Like yeah. Margate, case in point, Margate is nuts. It's, it's you know, drowning in the most amazing talent in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> and it was so, so broke before. Well, just before I was released, when I was allowed to go out to visit galleries and stuff, just before mm -hmm. I started uni, um, I went down to Gary Humes' studio. And at the time, he was in Hoxton Square. Oh, funny. He had a massive studio on the corner because Hoxton Square was a rundown part of East London. A rundown. Yeah. Not only was it rundown, it was a forgotten part of East London. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Not then, long ago. Like... No, this was. I'm talking 2001. Yeah, not. Um, yeah, he was there, big studio, paying hardly any rent, and then within five years, he's had to move out because. You know, well, like you it came was in. Hoxton happened, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the real shame about it, isn't it? I mean, like, you know, the one thing that I would hope, I mean, is that, you know, all the coolest art things happen at a time of sort of despair and suffering. Like, I think the thing that, you know, the punk scene, for example, you know, and I think artists have an amazing way of being lateral thinkers and trying to work out solutions to problems where no one else can find that solution. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, I literally, I think being an artist, for example, Dion, he can do everything. He's an electrician. He's a conceptual thinker. He's a poet. He's a he's a front man. He's he's, a, he's everything, right? Okay, he, he, yeah. he can be absolutely anything. But also, most artists can do this, yeah. you know. Like, and so I, I'm a great believer in that that they 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 are the they will lead the way. And if there is a problem, they will find a creative solution around it. And that yeah. includes living sustainably. You know, if you're really passionate about your art, you do anything you can to facilitate it. Yeah. Well, like you said earlier as well, London and Brighton, so expensive, mm -hmm. it's pushing the artists and the creatives out. Mm -hmm. And the seaside towns are so run down, yeah. they're starting to go there. Like you said, Margate, Hastings, St Leonard's. 
Yeah, um, and then cool. even even going round, sort of like into Essex, Clacton, a few artists have gone to there now. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And yeah, I'm, we're talking to Clacton actually. They they really know South End. I mean, so South End's got Leon C, which is a a beautiful little I love hub Leon. of artists. Yeah, it's yeah, great, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. So, for example, Folkestone, right? This is like getting off tangent, but basically, what I realised because Folkestone's had a massive sort of boom, and what I was told how it works in Folkestone is that actually there was a billionaire that bought up the high street and this obviously this model is not transferable to anywhere else but basically he bought the high street and basically gave it to local makers to have a sustainable business but that's my point but i think if you can value that yeah and then say that to councils who have assets and say actually if you hand this over to creatives look what you're going to do for your area yeah like that that for me would be the magic of like you know putting value on art and artists and their practice so they don't so they can be paid to be in these spaces instead of you know you know, having to pay for spaces i think yeah. the logic is totally inverse i mean when you get involved with the arts i, I didn't see it of course i was a villain for the first half of my life and, <laughs> i love that and, such a good introduction <laughs> uh, but the the arts honestly it just it just makes your life so much bloody easier mm. you look at things in a different light you appreciate things you wouldn't normally appreciate yeah, I mean, they do say that, don't they? That, that the arts are very like, like important for mental health. And I think we're only just beginning to sort of understand that in, a, in a quite a profound way. But I think that's the thing. Everybody should have access to culture. You know, I think it's, it's deeply wrong that gatekeeping of culture is only for the very privileged and the very rich. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, if you're only talking about price tags of things the entire time, don't get me wrong, I love the art market. I find it a deeply fascinating beast um, that I'm not part of anymore. But, you know, but I think it's fantastically interesting. But that's only for a very privileged few. Yeah. Um, but the rest of us, it seems like they sort of, you know, the gatekeeping aspect can keep people out. And this is like some amazing talent that's there. Like the people that we found just by having a random site in like Southport, Derby. You know, mm -hmm. we did an open call for Derby. And I honestly, out of the whole of the UK, the quality of applications in Derby is insane yeah. like they were so brilliant it was so hard to pick we had like 150 applications and they were you could have programmed a space for four years excellent you know you mentioned earlier about you filter the artists based mm -hmm. on you know the, the quality of their work their program mm -hmm. you also mentioned that you'd like it to be an, an airbnb type thing where there's a, a list of landlords a list mm -hmm. of artists and they marry up how would the quality control work if it was just artist picking a shop or a, a landlord picking an artist well this this is the thing so basically when we when artists apply to our spaces we always ask them if we can keep their data on record right obviously if they don't want to they can opt out of course the view is that hopefully we'll be able to create a platform whereby not number one we'd have an understanding of where the culture is um and so we could obviously if landlords say we've got this site we'll have a record of all these people that want space so we can then go cool Right, let's get back in touch with those guys that we couldn't help before and we could help them out there. So you've got that element of having access, but equally I think the public program aspects of it and the matchmaking thing is really important right now, but hopefully what you'd have at that stage is so many artists to select from that the landlord would choose, right, potentially, um, and then uh, the artist who has, is best suited to the building would go in and if they were good, they'd get reviewed properly. So I think you're right, it would lose an element of the sort of curated aspect but from my point of view, I don't think, right now I'm trying to remove the element of gatekeeping wherever I can. It's a thing that I'm actively against. So by me yeah. helping this process of selection, that's still gatekeeping to a certain aspect. So 
hopefully if I can withdraw and people just choose for themselves based on like how good they behave in the space you know that that's really important you know yeah. if, you're, if you're a dickhead artist we don't want to work with you, do you know what I mean? Because it's like the Uber driver when you get your stars. You're you're exactly that's that's the model. It's self-regulating. Yeah. That's what ideally you want, right? Um, but you're right, there would have to be a quality control at the beginning. So if you're applying, we'd have to go through it and make sure that you're just good enough to be considered. Brilliant. And what have you got going on at the moment, Camilla? Oh well, um, so like I said, we've been I've been in recovery from surgery, so things are a bit slow, but we've been applying for MPO status. There's not a snowball's chance in hell we'll get this, right? But <laughs> you've, got, you've got to try. You don't we, know. We're you. trying. We're trying. We're also applying for Nesta loans and all sorts because I need to build a team at this point to get bigger and better. But lots of things. I want to help Dion try and find a space in Birmingham. So if anybody's listening to this who's a landlord who's got a space, tell me because I've got an amazing bunch of artists that we need to house. Number mm -hmm. one. Dion's going to love that. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but number two, we're working with the lady landlords in potentially King's Cross, uh, Stratford. Um, and there's there's a there's quite a few sites across the UK that are possible. Uh, Cornwall, uh, Sudbury. Uh, so there's like lots of irons on the fires and nothing confirmed to date, but it's all, it's all getting there. Excellent. And where can people find Hypha Studios, be it online Instagram, social so, yeah. media. Okay, so I'm a social media whore. Um, and <laughs> Hyper Studios on Instagram is the best way to figure <laughs> out. Like, that's where we do all of our advertising, our marketing. That's how you find out about the events that we do. Um, and we, we, yeah, as you said, we target it. But that the Instagram is the best way of finding out what we do. Um, and then also the website, so hyperstudios.com. Yeah, you've Thank asked you some amazing anyway. questions, you know, like, even like, uh, like, You've made me reconsider and rethink the whole premise of the Airbnb format. That was good. Um, I think the idea of understanding, trying to bring together the public and private sectors is super, super vital. Um, Revaluing art and art forms into a way that's super inclusive is is top of my agenda, as it is yours. Yeah. And I think um, I think people are more interested in that to a certain extent now. We're quite bored of the alternative. So. So hopefully there's more of us doing the same thing. Would bringing in the educational side of it be of any assistance to you like schools and stuff like that yeah so there's two things so the mentorship program that we run so every artist that we get we basically say to them because you know i could afford to go to university but i dropped out because i couldn't afford it um but what we try to do is give somebody some a less not a lesson like a one-to-one -one with somebody that's going to advance their careers okay. so it might be a curator or it might be a business like startup person or it might be someone like this so from my what I'd love to do, I was asking the artists to record these things online for a free resource, you know, because we had a theatre group ask somebody about fundraising. So if you needed to know tricks on how to get fundraising, you should be able to scroll the, the how-to videos and work out how to do this. Yeah. And so I really, really want to develop that platform um, to create a guide on how to do it yourself. Yeah. Um, but in terms of education, like with schools and stuff, absolutely. Um, but that's a very much a question of ideally the artists that are in the space would volunteer to work with a certain school yeah and they would bring them in and work with them that way so we've had that in the past and we obviously encourage it for the future and how about piggybacking with other charities yeah we are i am always up for collaboration like you know like i said we're a network the name hypha comes from i don't know if you know about that but basically i'm all about the mushrooms right so when a mushroom is on a you know there's a bit of dead bit of wood 
a mushroom grows, it feeds off a dead bit of wood and it sort of invigorates and creates this sort of network, this like line. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. The idea is a network, a decentralized network. Excellent. So we like collaboration, right, with all the networks. So um, yeah, if there was anything that was relevant, it would be great to combine forces. So basically, this is the thing. What with what we do, it's entirely scalable. It's not just shops. We do it. We can do it in office blocks. We could do it in a department store. Now we can host anybody in these spaces as long as they aren't for profit. So it could be that a charity or a charitable organisation needs space. Yeah. We can get them that space and house them. So, for example, we were talking to a landlord in Bristol about an office block. It's four floors, and I wanted to give four organisations free spaces for for years, right? Um, but they have to be a CIC or a charity or something yeah, of course. and sort of have a similar mission to us, which is the creative arts. And so, yeah, that that would be fine for us if that's that's what they wanted to do. Because that, that could be a whole parallel arm, couldn't it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, all, all we really need is somebody that's going to check in with us and be like, yeah, heads up, all the health and safety is all sorted, like, all good. You know, we're going to apply for funding. That's great, whatever. Because that's um, the thing with a fledgling charity. You want to do, you've got so many options that you might want to do. Yeah, you sort of don't know what what well, direction to go. So in. It's, it's sort of narrowed down by the properties themselves. Yeah. So every site that we get is a specific demand, right? It might be the landlord wants fashion, or they might want AR or something. Yeah. So it really depends on how long we've got the site for, what the landlord wants, what the site is good for. Um, is it making space or is it a blue chip gallery space? Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, you're right. It could, it's a really flexible solution and it could go in any direction, but it just depends what the property is. Yeah, right. Yeah. Property, <laughs> and, and I'm not just saying it because you're here, but hats off to what you're doing. It's, it's really <laughs> is, no, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It really is. Oh, thanks. All right, Camilla. Thank you very much. You too. I love your podcast. All right. Thanks have a great so. day. Ciao. And you. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, hope you enjoyed that episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast. So we wasn't dictated to by advertisers, we decided from the offset to go ad-free, which means obviously we had to self-fund. So we set up the Ministry of Arts Patreon page. And without that support, we would not be able to produce this podcast. So if you like what you hear and you're able to support the podcast, just go over to the Ministry of Arts Instagram profile. You'll find a Linktree drop-down box, which will direct you straight to our Patreon page. And for the price of a cup of coffee, you can help keep us growing week by week. But if you're not able to do that, that's fine because this content is free for everyone. But leaving a review on whichever platform you listen to your podcast, that really does help us get noticed and anyone else looking for an art podcast. Or even giving us a positive shout out on your social media. Everything is appreciated. But either way, thanks for listening. And until next week, Zadar.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.